Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? Yeah, very good, Bryce. How are you? Mate, I'm well, I'm well. You had the tennis on the weekend. How exciting. Yeah, well, by the time we've released this, uh, we'll know who won between Rafa and uh, Novak. Yeah, big game. Yeah. Last night's game was good as well, I think, the women's final. Yeah, I didn't say much of it, to be honest, but um, I-, I was at the... Uh, semi-final on Friday where Novak just absolutely pumped his uh, his French opponent. Yeah, that, that was disappointing, I guess, from your point of view to to go and see that live. But, um, well, it was disappointing from everyone's point of view. I, I guess we were expecting or hoping for a bit of a better contest. But I think Nadal did the same thing to his opponent in, the, in his semi. So tonight should be hopefully a ripper game. Yeah, it should be. Now, look, some of the criticism we get is that our sport chat at the front uh, doesn't uh, age well for people who are listening <laughs> later. So, let's uh, let's keep it yeah, to that. <laughs> All right, Ren. So, this episode, we are going to uh, do our Ask Us Anything, uh, which we haven't done for December either because we're on our Christmas break. So, what we have done is compiled all the questions that we've received over December and January from our listeners. We have a forum on our website for any new uh, investors who have just joined us where you can go and ask us literally any question you want, preferably investing related, but we will try and answer any question that you throw our way. Um, ask us anything and and then each month, last episode of the month, we go through and answer all the questions that have come through from our listeners. So that is what we are going to do today. However, there have been so many that have come through and some absolute crackers that we're going to be splitting this into two episodes to ensure that we can try and stick to our 20 minutes and not let it drag on. So without further ado, Ren, unless you have anything to add, let's get stuck in. No, let's get stuck in. All right. So we're not going to read word for word because some of the questions are quite large. Uh, If you want to see them, jump onto our website. They're all there. So this has come through from Nick and it relates to the ATO and investing and all uh, and tax time uh, and what are the sort of particulars uh, when it comes to your investments and reporting at tax time and and some some of the ma- what are some of the main things that uh, we need to be aware of uh, Ren Yeah so in a nutshell there's probably two things uh, the two main things that you need to keep in mind and that is the, the shares that you actually bought and sold, uh, they are considered capital and capital gains or losses. Uh, but then separately, the income that you receive from shares in dividends or you know from bonds in um, coupon payments, uh, they are considered income. And so they're treated differently for income. So for the dividends, that gets uh, pulled with all your other taxable income. Uh, whether it's from you know rent, whether it's from your job, uh, and that creates your total taxable income, and then that gets taxed as income. Uh, for capital, there's a slightly different way that it is treated. You know, capital losses that you make can be offset against capital gains and stuff like that. So that means if you lose money on certain shares, 
Uh, you can offset that against gains in future years. But look, I think the most important thing to keep in mind is that we aren't financial professionals and we can't and don't give financial advice. And the best person to speak to about this is you know, a tax expert. Absolutely. Also, we did a much more comprehensive uh, discussion on tax episode number 62 called All Things Tax Time. So if you want to have a listen to a bit more detail, head over and check that episode out. Uh, we delve a bit deeper into into some of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I think um, probably one thing that a lot of people don't do that they need to do is where they do make a loss in that year, um, make sure you report it, even if you don't have any gains to um, offset against it that year, because the only way you get to offset it in future years is if you report it at the time. So even mm. though you might um, you might know what the, a- the ATO to see your terrible trade, uh, make sure you record it for tax purposes. <laughs> And Ren, if I don't do anything during the year, say this year I uh, buy A2 milk, for example, and then uh, the next financial year I don't buy or sell, um, is there any reporting that needs to be done or do I just uh, let it fly through to the keeper for that year? I don't believe so. I think you only need to report if there's been like a taxable event and I think if you just hold it throughout the year, uh, unless, you know, they pay you dividends... Yeah. Then you need to report that. But yeah, if it, if you don't get paid dividends, if nothing happens and you don't sell, then no. Nice. But but as I said, tax professionals yes. give tax advice. We uh, don't. On a podcast. <laughs> All right. So thank you, Nick, for for that question. Our next one comes from Alex, and this is a this is a great one because Alex has just started listening to the podcast. He's pumping through a lot of episodes and. Right back at the start, Ren, we were discussing A2 milk and in February 2007. Um, since we discussed it, uh, it grew, you know, four to 500%, uh, which was massive growth. And what he would like to know is the reason for us discussing the trading um, price to earnings, I guess, and why we gave it the valuation we did at the time and also what were our learnings from seeing the stock trade, you know, from where it was to where it ended up finishing, you know, at the end of last year. So, so to be clear, I think you're trying to be polite to me, but what he's actually saying <laughs> is uh, in, I think, our third episode or something, uh, I said that A2 Milk was trading at 52 times earnings and so I wouldn't be buying it. But since that time, it's grown about 460%. I, I had a look. In February 2017, it was trading in uh, you know, mid $2 range, uh, and now it's $11.66. Mm. So, look, it is, it is a good question, and it's a fair enough call out. And, look, I was, I was wrong. But in saying that, I still look at it today, and the, the same logic, I think, still can be applied. So, uh, at that point point it was trading at 52 times earnings these days it's trading at almost 65 times earnings so its earnings per share are about 18 cents for a share price of $11.66 mm. and whilst that isn't always a good indicator and a lot of growth stocks have high PEs and continue to grow A2 being an example a lot of the tech companies in America being other good examples um, you do just need to keep in mind what you're looking at when you see a price to earnings ratio because really it, it is 
around the growth expectations of a stock and the growth that the market has priced into a stock. So if you just think think about what it is telling you, it, it is saying that, well, if we take uh, A2 back in February 2017, the, the market was telling us that if things didn't go right uh, for A2's growth and instead the company just stayed the size that it was, you know, its China strategy failed, uh, competitors came up and it just continued to operate as a business the current size that it was, it would have taken 54 year, or 52 years uh, for the business to spit out enough profit to make back your investment, just to make it back for you. Uh, and that is assuming that it paid out all of its earnings to its investors. Now, businesses don't do that. They retain a lot of their earnings to continue growing. So you as an investor, just to earn your investment back, uh, would have had to wait you know, over 50 years. So the, the when you see and price to earnings like that, the market is expecting serious growth. And in this case, it has grown, although it, the um, price to earnings multiple has expanded along the way as well. But it is just more risky to to be investing in these high PE stocks because if things don't go as the market expects and as the company is projecting, which in a lot of cases things don't go to plan, you have bought a very expensive stock. So so that I guess that is what I was saying at the time. I I'm still thinking it now, but hey, I was wrong once before, and I'm probably going to be wrong again. Yeah, I guess you're just not you're you're just not comfortable saying you know buying in now. But what did you do with your stock over this period of time? Have you have you kept A two milk? You obviously bought into the stock very early, well before the the two dollar mark, and so you'd already experienced pretty phenomenal growth when it hit two dollars, which triggered this conversation at the fifty two times earnings mark that we were talking about. So have you still got the stock? What's your plan with it? Do you have an exit strategy? What what are you what are you doing? You obviously still think that it's I mean it's now 65 times earnings so your your um approach I guess to the stock hasn't changed but um what are you doing? So my uh, I think I've said this to you before maybe not on the podcast but my sell indicator for A2 milk and for Bellamy's is when we stop hearing about people fighting about it in supermarkets i think interesting yeah that's <laughs> Look, fair enough though. it's not it's probably not that scientific but i think it is indicative of um demand that we're seeing so you know every time you hear a news story or you see a current affair reporting on you know chinese daigos buying up all of the infant formula from supermarket shelves to sell it for 10 times the price back in china when you hear about these companies not being able to keep up with demand for me that's probably a good, as good an indication that um, there's still growth left in it, which I know contradicts what I said earlier, but obviously there is risk there because all, all you need is for, for, for a Chinese competitor to start up in China and, or for mm. the, you know, there's, there's heaps of things that could happen or for you know, the Chinese to cut uh, imports from Australia because they want to support their own dairy industry. You know, there's plenty of things that could happen that could change it, but for me... I didn't do anything. I just let it ride up. It was higher. It fell. I just have left it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I nice. think I think there's still demand. Uh, whether it will justify a 65 times earnings multiple, uh, that remains Yet to, to be, be seen. seen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Nice one, Ren. So, look, yeah, you were wrong, but we're all wrong when it comes to investing most of the time. Um, (laughs) However, whilst being wrong, you are on a winning stock uh, by picking it, you know, well well before the $2 mark. So, I guess that gets a bigger tick. And as you said, it will be remain to be seen what, what happens to this stock. But as you said, it's all about the growth expectations. And with these companies, um, looking at the PE uh, specifically in relation to the, the stock is sometimes, you know, look at Amazon. It had PEs of in, in the hundreds, um, obviously, because the growth expectations on it were massive. You can't really uh, take them in isolation. Um, you need to look at it in, in a much broader context. So... Next question comes in from well, John. Hold on, mate. You're asking other questions. I'll ask you this one. Okay. <laughs> so third question, uh, this comes in from John, and he wants to know if there's an equivalent to stake for Australian shares where he can place unlimited trades with no brokerage fees. Great question, John. That would be the dream, but uh, unfortunately, I, as far as we're aware, there is nothing like stake uh, for Australians in the Australian market. Um, there are most brokerage platforms offer cheaper brokerage the more you trade in either quantity or dollar amount, you know, on a monthly basis. But um, as far as we're aware, there are no brokers out there who will let you do unlimited trades for free. Yeah. That would be amazing. Business opportunity is what I'm seeing. Equity Mates brokerage platform coming yeah. to 2020. Coming soon. <laughs> I think... Um, like the big one in the US is Robin Hood. They have been saying they're going to come to Australia for a while, but you know they're yet to come. So uh, at yeah, this point, I mean, it, they're doing the world's biggest drum roll. That's for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I think you know there's probably bigger markets for them to try and conquer. Yeah, and you know I think they're probably still trying to figure out what business model actually works for them. But yeah, look in the in the meantime, it really is stake. Or you can get cheap brokerage, but yeah, there's not a lot of free brokerage out there. Mm. Okay. Thanks, All John. Right. I'll ask you the next one because that was a pretty okay. short one. All right. So next question is around uh, investing and saving as a young person. So um, they want to know how we think young people should invest in in the context of the large purchases that they're looking to make. So you know, do they save for a car or a house or do they invest in the market or should you uh, invest in the market to grow your uh, savings for the house? So, yeah, do you, do you have any thoughts on sort of the interplay between saving and investing? Sure. So, again, uh, this is probably a question that needs to be asked by to your financial advisor, I think, is the first thing we should say. We're, we're not here to give specifics on this sort of stuff because it all relates to your personal situation. But I guess I can answer this from um, my sort of experience and, and perspective and how I tackle this. It's, it is a good question, you know, how, how do you go about saving for a house when you want to start also building a share portfolio? Depending on your income, it can be very difficult to do both and that obviously boils down to what your financial goals are and you need to start looking at things like your time horizon and, and your risk appetite. Um, so say, for example, let's use the example of a house. You're trying to save for a house. The way that I would tackle it is I am a strong believer that in this day and age, you can build a share portfolio with as little as $5. So you don't, 
if I was to be saving for a house, I would be separating the two because as our listener mentions in their questions, you know, the value of compound interest is huge and it only gets better the earlier you start. So uh, if it just means putting small amounts away into your share portfolio and putting the majority of your money towards a house, then by all means, you can still run parallel. Uh, I think that if you're saving for a house and putting all of that savings into stocks and hoping that you know the the rise in your share portfolio will uh, increase the speed at which you can save for that house that's obviously a lot more risky than if you were to keep that in cash in the bank um, i'm not saying that that's a good or a bad thing to do i do know of people that use stocks to um, help reach their financial goals and then they take it out but my personal approach to investing is that i keep the two separate and i try as hard as i can not to sell uh, stocks for any reason other than to take profits and buy back in um i, I wouldn't be using them um to to buy a, a house one of the advantages of having stocks, uh, you know, a portfolio is that you can use that to borrow against. Um, it's a, it's a, an asset, so you can have that there and, and borrow against it for things like a, a house or a car. So that's that's my take on that, Ren. Do you have anything? How do you approach it? No, look, I think I'd be repeating a lot of what you said. From, from like my general rule is if I if I'm trying to spend some like you know save for something to spend in the next five years. I don't want to put it in the market um, just because the market could be volatile and yeah. yeah, you need to invest for the long term. So yeah. in practical terms, if you're looking to save for a house, definitely take advantage of the um, super first home buyers scheme uh, where you can save up to 30 grand in a like tax advantage super account for your first home deposit. So that, that's definitely definitely something you want to maximize. The, the question I asked about cars, uh, I think specifically for cars, don't overspend on your car. It literally depreciates from the day that you buy it, from the first time you drive it. So do yourself a favor and drive as cheap a car as you can for as long as you can. And um, if you can help it, don't borrow to finance your car. Just buy a cheaper car. Mm. You know, Buying into the housing market at least is an investment that will appreciate in value. If you're, if you're overspending on your car that depreciates from literally the time you sit in the driver's seat, it's probably not the, uh, probably not the right thing to do. No. Take a leaf out of my book, Ren. I'm 27 and I've never owned a car. I just bum a ride from all my mates. So it's a pretty, uh, pretty good way to get around, right? Yeah. Do you, do you even have your license? I can't one. Do you, I don't think you do. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Debatable. Uh, absolutely got my license, mate. Anyway, um, <laughs> that was, that's a good question. Uh, thanks for for that one, Shards. Uh, next one, Ren. You want me to ask, Dan? Uh, yeah, sure. So this is to do with setting up accounts. He currently trades through Comsec. Uh, but it's under both his and his partner's name, and he was wondering what the thoughts, um, what our thoughts are on trading in individual names. If there's any tax advantages or or things to be careful or mindful of when setting up trading accounts in in joint names. So I, I think again, this is one where we need to sort of uh, defer to the actual tax experts. But I think in general terms, you lodge your tax return as an individual 
um, even though you need to record your partner's income. So there may potentially be a benefit. Um, well, you see, I don't, I don't know how it works with couples if you can apportion the income to one couple, one partner or the other. But you know, given that you report as individuals, if one person is making significantly less than the other, you probably want the um, income to be in their name, I would assume. But look, yeah, I'm neither. Neither of us are married. You're a bit closer than I am, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, look, this isn't something that I've had to deal with. So I would just say, you know, speak to, speak to a tax professional. A tax guy. Yeah, I know, I know a tax guy. So I'll shoot, um, shoot this question, <laughs> shoot this question off to him and see if he can give us a proper answer, Dan. And I will throw it up on our website under your question. So stay tuned. We'll. We'll get that across. Um, the next one's coming from Lauren. She is keen for us to do an episodes on bond, an episode on bonds, uh, different types, pros and cons, how to buy, um, and you know, is it worth using them to diversify a portfolio and and all that sort of stuff. Excellent question. I think Ren, what we've decided is that we will do an episode on bonds. Um, just wanted to recognise the question that's coming from Lauren. So yes, Lauren, we will endeavour to do a much more detailed episode on bonds so stay tuned for that the next question and final question for this episode comes in from daniel uh this is a great one ren he wants to know what metrics and measurements should we as beginner investors uh be using to keep track of and how each metric affects things like share price and um, how it all relates to the broader economy. He gives examples of, you know, how often does the Australian GDP change, what that change means and how often interest rates change, for example, and how that affects us. So great question. We can discuss macro, micro. Uh, Ren, where do you want to start with this one? So I think what, what you just said there probably is a good place to start. A lot of this will de- depend on your investing strategy. Um, so if you're a macro investor, you're probably care more about, you know, GDP numbers, global trade numbers, um, some of the bigger economic indicators, um, and you care less about company specific indicators. Whereas, you know, a value investor will focus on particular company metrics, you know, how much debt they have, what their assets are, their cash flow, and will care less about overall economic indicators but look, yeah. in saying that it really is dependent on the individual investment as well so for example you know if we were talking about a2 milk before you obviously care about the company specific indicators but then it's so exposed to china you will care about china's gdp numbers you care about international trade numbers you care about um you know a bunch of other things like that uh you care about the uh, Aussie dollar and uh, how it converts to the renminbi, um, the 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 one or the renminbi, or are wow, they two two names for the same thing? Probably. Anyway, um, but then you know <laughs> if if you choose a different company like you know you choose CBA Commonwealth Bank, then you care about company level metrics, but p- potentially different metrics to what you care about for A2 Milk. But then you also care about some macro things um you know but you're more exposed to the housing market and stuff like that so you care about those sort of macro level indicators so there probably isn't a set list and you probably don't want it to be a set list it really is dependent on the investment one that i didn't mention there but does 
sort of affect everything in the economy is interest rates. There's that's one that I think every investor should care about and should be aware of how it affects their investments. You know, for macro level investors, interest rates sort of change everything. For um, fixed income investors, for bond investors, that is that interest rate is the sort of risk free risk free comparison rate, so it makes bonds more or less attractive. And then for, uh, you know, sort of value investors, interest rates can form the risk-free rate of a lot of uh, ways that you value a company. So, you know, if you're um, doing a discount cash flow method, the as interest rates go up, the discount rate should go up because um, the the risk-free rate is going up. So, look, some a lot of that may not make sense, but... Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of things, terminology used in there, Ren, that uh, you probably need to be a bit more experienced with investing to understand. So to couple with our uh, inter- sorry, our episode on bonds, we will do a deep dive in all things interest rates. It's an incredibly po- important topic to understand. It uh, impacts a lot of things and there are some absolute basics that you need to know. Um, for example, that the RBA, Reserve Bank of Australia, on the first Tuesday of every month hold a meeting where they decide uh, whether or not they will be changing the cash rate for Australia for that month. So we will do a deep dive on all things interest rates because as you heard Ren explain there, it impacts bonds and cash flow and cash flow discount models or, or whatever they're called. Apologies, can't can't remember it this early time in the morning. <laughs> um, so stay tuned for that, Ren. Um, I guess just briefly, GDP is gross domestic product. If you were wondering what Ren was talking about there and it just essentially shows the total output um, growth of output or decline of output of, of the economy um, for that period of time uh, at an annualized annualized figure. So I hope that answers the question. Do you have anything that you specifically track, Ren, or do you – I know, I know as, as time goes on, I think the message for this question is that you understand how – you know, one metric impacts the other and you get an understanding of, I guess, broadly how all the economy starts to work, which is why you said, you know, you shouldn't really have a prescribed list of things to look at because taking things in isolation sometimes is almost pointless because you need to understand what the flow and effects of of all these metrics are. But is there anything other than interest rates that you, I, I guess, enjoy tracking or right at, right at this point in time? Uh, I mean, look, at the moment, uh, you know things like global trade numbers are interesting because of the broader like political side of it with you know this trade war and what that could mean for global growth but i think I think the general takeaway should be the reason that there are so many different indicators is because there is no set of perfect indicators yeah you know if there was a set if there was a list of like eight indicators that you could watch that gave you all the information you needed to uh, pursue an investment strategy to understand what's happening in the global economy blah 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 there would be no other indicators because you'd get all the information you need but the fact is companies are so complex let alone economies and how complex they Mm. are Mm. that no indicator is perfect Mm. and yeah it really is about understanding what's behind those indicators and what those indicators are telling us that I think that's where the real value is. Yeah, completely agree. 
So stay tuned for two episodes out of this. Uh, and this is why we love getting these questions in. Um, so we've got one episode coming for Lauren on bonds and then we'll do another one um, in line with the questions Daniel was just asking on interest rates, both two uh, pretty important things to understand. Uh, they can seem quite complex uh, for the beginner investor. Don't worry, we will break it down for you so um, you can totally get an understanding of what it's all about. So, Ren, that brings us to about halfway through questions. We will leave it there for today and we will revisit this uh, for our next episode where we'll answer the remaining questions that have come in from our listeners uh, for Ask Us Anything. So, unless you have anything else to add, we will talk next week. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Hey, Equity Mates. I uh, really appreciate the support and love that we get from all of you guys. Obviously, we are doing this for free. We don't expect any money from anyone and we, we do it for the love of investing and equities. But there is one thing that we could really appreciate your support from. Ren? We don't ask for money, although if you want to send it our way, we wouldn't say no. <laughs> but the biggest thing you can do to help us to help us grow the podcast, get more people listening, is to just jump on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use and give us a rating, ideally five stars. If not, if you think we're only worth three, then that's your decision. <laughs> but yeah, it helps us massively uh, in the ratings uh, and to get more listeners and to grow the brand. Nice. Leave a review and also tell your mates.